Today I wanted to talk with you about a well-ordered, a well-ordered new covenant church community. A well-ordered new covenant church community. While I was thinking about what what is a New Testament church looks like, a New Testament church that is well-ordered according to Scripture, what does that church look like? How do they relate one to another? What kind of relationships are inside of a New Testament church that is well-ordered according to Scriptures? Because if you read through Scriptures, the Word of God actually has a culture that it instills within us. That's why it says in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to the ways of this world or the culture of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. There's a culture that exists within the body of Christ. And I know this to be true because I've, I've traveled some and I've been in the ministry on both continents, on two different continents, but I've also seen Brazil and all of Europe, and this one thing I can tell you, that it doesn't matter what foods people eat, it doesn't matter what kind of government they are under, but if you travel and you meet another brother or sister in the Lord, suddenly uh, there's a connection, isn't that, isn't that true? You sit next to somebody in the airplane and they are from a different country and suddenly you both realize that you are both born again. There's a connection there. It's like, wow, are you serious? And immediately there's this bond. There's this unity. We don't like the same foods. <laughs> we don't dress the same way. We don't listen to the same music. But we have the same culture. We have the same culture. There's, there's a bond there. It's interesting, as I was thinking about, what does this universal church of Jesus Christ look like if it's a if it's a well-ordered new testament new covenant new covenant um church community what does that look like and i was thinking about christ nation <clears throat> i was thinking about all the things that the lord has brought us through and he's brought us into because there's so much you know that <laughs> there's so much to think about and think through and we have gone through so much it's important for us to keep in mind as to what does a well-ordered church look like. And I thought about how our church family, you drive here every Sunday. And uh, some of you drive further than others. You know, for, uh, some drive 20 minutes every Sunday. Others drive 30 minutes. There are those of you that drive 35 minutes one way every Sunday. Those of you that drive 40 minutes every Sunday, week after week, even with the, with the current gas prices. Some of you pass up to 15 plus churches to get here every Sunday. And uh, you spend your time here. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And then there are those of you that spend your time here every Sunday and every Tuesday. Week after week after week. As a matter of fact, the Zalazos took a, a Sunday off two weeks ago, the first time in five years. Can you believe it? 
You guys need vacation. <laughs> now, those that drive out 20, 30, 45 minutes every single Sunday, every single, every single Tuesday, week after week after week. And then there are those who drive out every Sunday, every Tuesday, and every Wednesday and spend their time here. Isn't that amazing? Then there are those, which is kind of mind-blowing, that drive out every single Sunday, every single Tuesday, every single Wednesday, and every single Friday. Just amazing. It's just amazing. So you drive here every Sunday. You spend your time here. You build your relationships here. Talking about a new covenant church community. You build your friendships here. You freely give your hard-earned income, portion of it, to support the work that's going on here. I mean, if you think about our building fund, isn't that just quite fascinating and amazing how that just happened? And we just about to hit the halfway mark in months. You freely give here. And then, of course... Many of you freely serve here. <laughs> it's, it's quite amazing to think about this in, in secular terms. If you think about an organization like that, like how does that happen? Not in the secular world does this happen. So why do people pay such a high price to be a part of God's local body? Because it's not just exclusive to Christ's nation, but many churches have exactly the same things. People who love the Lord live this way. It's, it's unheard of. It's an enigma. The world doesn't understand it. But why do people do? Why do people pay such a high price to be a part of a local church body? Because some come here, and some of the reasons I thought about, some come to the house of God because they are hurting, because they're bruised, because they're broken, and the Lord understands, and the Lord heals, and the Lord comforts, and the Lord promises, and the Lord refreshes. Others come because of the promises that they have a new beginning, a promise that they can have a new fresh start in life. And then we come to church and we gather here and we pay that price and we drive that distance and we pass as many churches as we do and we, and, um, we invest the time and so forth because we've come to hear from the Lord. What is the Lord saying to us as a congregation corporately? Because many, uh, most of you, study the Word of God privately, and you hear from God. But then, we, get, we gather together and we hear from God corporately. And then others come, well, everybody does, to come and actually corporately worship God. Most of you, you sing in your car, you sing in the shower, you take a walk and you worship God. And then we come together here and we worship Him because He is holy. We praise Him together corporately because He is great. We give Him thanks because He is good. We worship Him because He's holy. We praise Him because He's great. We give Him thanks because He's good and we do so corporately. These are some of the reasons as to why people pay this high price in order to be part of a local body of Christ. Apart from that, of course, it's a means of obedience. 
not to neglect the gathering together of the saints. So therefore, it would be the assumption that your prayers and your hopes, your personal prayers and your personal hopes and your desires is for Christ's nation to be a biblically well-ordered, new covenant church community. Nobody will be that highly vested in an unordered, non-biblical church community. Every God-fearing person will only be that, that highly vested because they believe it is a biblically-based, well-ordered, new covenant church community. That's why people pay a high price to be a part of it. So I know that that is your prayer for this church. I know that that's your hope for Christ's nation. I know that's your desire for our local church. A well-ordered church is a biblically governed church with biblical, with Bible, biblical standards, a church that is well-governed by Scriptures, that has standards the Scriptures require. Not just in doctrine and in teaching, but also in governance and in covenant-based relationships. So to think about a New Testament church, you have to think about, well, that church better have good teaching, right? You can't have like a great New Testament church with a bunch of heresy being taught. Well, how do you know something is not heretical? Well, it's all throughout Scriptures. That's the only way you know it. And so not only can, must a New Testament church have biblical doctrine that it stands upon and it unites around. We don't unite around a vision. We unite around a truth, right? We're not pragmatic in the way we build church. We unite around the truth and allow Jesus to continue building His church. Now, we have to have more than just biblical teaching. We also have to have biblical governance. We also have to have covenant-based relationships because that's how we are connected one to another. The reason you and that stranger that you met that's also born again from a different country, the reason you guys felt like brother and sister is because there is a covenant. We both partake from the same communion cup. We both drink from the same cup. We are one. Even though you've never met them before, it's your first time. It's like, wow, we both love the Lord. We both fear God. There's so much the same about us. How do I know this? I don't even know the person. Well, I know because they believe the Bible and I believe the Bible, and therefore, we believe the same thing. We cut from the same cloth. How many of you have ever experienced that you met somebody for the first time and there was such a close knit between you and the person because you're both believers? How many of you have ever experienced that, right? It's an amazing thing. That's why you can walk into a room filled with people you don't know, however, knowing that those are all believers, you can feel at home because you believe the same. Just like you can, have the, you can go out for a night with all of your secular friends and you can sit there and everybody's laughing it up and you feel so alone <laughs> because we're just, we just not the same, I'm sorry. The jokes are funny. We're all laughing at the jokes except for, I don't know, why am I so lonely about, between all these people, right? And then you find a covenant 
community, it's like, oh, thank you, God. Many of you go to work and you feel alone. It's like, man, there are all these people in my office. But you know, there's, I can't hardly say anything that I think because, you know, oh. So people are always in search for a covenant community where they can connect and be a part of. As we have seen in the past, in past Bible studies here that the Lord has set up multiple governments uh, through which He exercises His authority here on the earth. We see that, number one, He set up self-governance. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. He sets up self-governance. You are to govern self first. And that's the problem with today's society. They cannot govern themselves, but they want to govern the world. So self-governance is God's first government that He set up then he set up the family government, which is under the parent, under the father, ultimately. And then he set up civil government. And then he set up church government. Church is, in fact, a government and a well-ordered new covenant community of believers is a well-governed church. When it comes to self-government, God gave you a conscience. When, God, when it comes to family government, God gave the father the rod. When it comes to civil government, God gave civil government the sword. And when it comes to church government, God gave them discipline and excommunication. And so God exercises His authority within society, in this earth. And today, the world is bent on overthrowing all of those governments, except for self. <laughs> they want to overthrow the police, they want to overthrow the church government, they, overthrow, they, they undo the whole family unit, and then what's left is me, <laughs> right? Self, my truth. <laughs> and that's what the world is after. Now, to reiterate, it is a biblical mandate that shepherds cultivate a well-ordered congregation built around the dimensions that the Bible gives us. And the Scriptures are covenantal from beginning to end. So we are to be governed, well-governed, and we ought to be well-governed according to Scriptures, not according to what we think is best. And the reason I'm sharing, with you, sharing this with you today is because I, I think that it's, I think we are on the same page in a big way, but... Very important for us to echo and remind ourselves of the culture that God has called us to here in an ever-changing church community. And that's why I started by saying, I don't expect everybody to be on the same page as I am as far as doctrine is concerned. I do expect you to declare the doctrine that you believe and be willing to talk it out with those around you. To be in disagreement over something is life. Is that not so? Only somebody who's never, who never grew up in a family would think nobody is allowed to disagree. <laughs> if you have a family, uh, there's, agree there's disagreements. And I'm going to show you today as to why there's disagreements also. But it's important for us to understand that um, I clarify to you that we, when you come here, uh, this is what you will hear taught, the doctrines of grace. Now, you may need some time to filter through some of that. 
You may need time to go to the Scriptures and do the noble thing. Remember the Thessalonians and the Bereans? To do the noble thing, to go and search the Scriptures to see if what was taught is in fact the truth. But remember, they listened to Paul and they received the word with what? Joy. And when they received it with joy, they went, okay, let me go see if this is true. And then they went and they studied the Scriptures to see if it was true. What a healthy relationship. What a healthy relationship. Today, not here, but for most part in, in church cultures, like, I just don't believe it. I'm out. I just don't believe that. I'm out. Well, did you talk to anybody about it? Um, no, I don't care. Uh, no, I'm going to just find a church that says exactly what I want to hear all the time. <laughs> now, you know how I feel about that since uh, that is part of my past. But you're not looking for a church that is only going to affirm you and never stretch you, only affirming what you already believe and not teach you beyond what you already believe, right? Nobody wants a church like that. So a well-ordered church stretches everybody all the time. And so you're sitting there going like, man, I thought I was the only one <laughs> disagreeing with something or being stretched over something. Everybody needs to consistently be in that place where they have to go, wait a minute, does the Bible really say this? Wow, I need to grow in the knowledge of this truth. I need to grow in, in, God's, in what God says about this issue. But most people, they pray a prayer. They prayed it in 1972, and from that day on, all I want is affirmation. That's all I want, affirmation. Well, that's like, that's like a person, a 42-year-old, still sitting in his diaper, right? You can't just be affirmed that, oh, you're such a cute little baby. No, you've got to grow up too, right? And so, so the Scriptures are covenantal from beginning to end, and we're specifically re dealing with relational issues between us, brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. See, the Scriptures are covenantal. The word testament, as in as in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is in fact referring to a covenant, the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. So the question is, what is a covenant? A covenant is a solemn bond with intended blessings and curses. A solemn bond intended bl with blessings and curses. When you got married, you, you got every bit of her goodness. All of her upsides became part of your life. But guess what? A covenant doesn't limit you to only her upsides. You also receive all of her downsides in marriage. When she married you, she inherited all of your upsides. And she inherited all of your downsides. Every bit of it. But that is what covenant's all about. That I will remain committed at my expense, I will remain committed to you. That's what happened on the cross. At his expense, he remained committed to us. If you read the book of Hosea, you'll see the prophet, God told him, go marry the prostitute. What? Yeah, go marry the prostitute. Why? Because he was showing us something that while she was unfaithful to him, he needed to remain faithful to her, just as Christ remains faithful to you and I, his bride. So a covenant is a solemn bond with intended blessings and curses both coming in <laughs> part of this covenant, upsides and downsides. You see, God made a covenant with Noah that he will never again flood the earth. 
God made a covenant with Abraham that he will be the father of many nations, and God is currently still fulfilling that promise that he made with Abraham. How is he fulfilling that promise? Through the covenant that he made with us in Jesus Christ, the blood covenant. There is no stronger commitment than, the, than a blood covenant. And our church life is a tight weaving together of covenantal bonds. If you look at a congregation, you'll see that we have marital covenants between a husband and a wife sitting next to each other in the church. We have familial covenants between parents and their children inside of the church building. We have covenantal bonds between brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we drink from the same cup. There's a certain bond we have with one another that you do not have with your unsaved best friend. When we receive communion, it is a, it is a sign that we are in covenant with brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. With all brothers and sisters who participate in the same cup and body of the Lord. And that's why when you meet somebody <clears throat> on the other side of the world in a on your travels and you go like, you're a brother in Christ. Wow, this is amazing. And suddenly, uh, it's a hug and not a handshake. Because there's that bond. That means all Christians around the entire world display our covenantal reality. And just like a regular family, a church family also should expect relational friction and relational difficulties. So some people, what they do is they go like, well, my family is a mess, but when I come to church, I expect everything squiggy clean. My family is a mess, and I have sins, but I want to come here. I don't want to see anybody here with sin. And I don't want to have any trouble with any of you. <laughs> this is people's expectation when they walk into a, a, covenant, a covenant family. It's unrealistic. It is. Like people say, you know, the church was perfect until you showed up. <laughs> you added your, sin, your sins to this church. <laughs> Somebody goes like, well, there's sin in the camp. Are you kidding me? There's always been sin in the camp. You showed up. Boom, sin in the camp. So just like a regular family, a church family also should expect relational friction and relational difficulties. The more people in the room, the more sins are added to that room. Every single, single person in this room added a certain amount of sins to this room. It's you, Jonah. Point to yourself and say, Jonah. <laughs> so the question is, why would God... Add one more person to our church if he knew adding one more person would add even more sin to this body. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he rather chase everybody out so that this church could be sinless? <clears throat> the reason God would add a sinful person to our congregation is so that our love may have something to cover. The reason God would add a sinful person to our congregation is so that our love will have something to cover. That's why. God wants to cover that person. That's why He will bring that person into a church family. God wants us to learn how to cover things in love. That's how the world will know that we are the children of God. 
by the love that we have for one another. That's how the world knows we are God's children. Because we have learned for we have learned to use our love in this way by covering other people's sin. James 5:20 says, "Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins." 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says, "Above all, keep loving one another earnestly." How? Since love covers a multitude of sins. That's how you love somebody. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs, stirs up strife. But love does what? Covers all sins. When last have you covered somebody's sin? So what does love do? In 1 Corinthians 3, 7, it says, Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. When last have you just endured somebody? Because when you walk into a covenant church, when you walk into a new covenant uh, body of believers, that's what you ought to find, people bearing with you. People covering your sin. They're not looking to expose you. They're looking to cover you. People that are patient. Again, 1 Corinthians 3, 7. This is what you would find in a well-ordered new covenant body of believers. They will bear all things. Like, man, that guy's got a, that guy's got a horrible, horrible personality, doesn't he? Oh, really? He does? Okay, well, we've been, you know, just bear with it. <laughs> right They bear all things. Well, somebody says, really inconsistent. Well, a loving church community bears things. You take it on the chin, that's what it says. You just take it on the chin. You know the days of, the days of like, yeah, I, I went there and nobody said hello to me. Those days are over so, so long, been over such a long time ago. Well, that church, I got hurt. I got church hurt. That's, that's over, it's been over such a long time ago, please. If you want to talk about church hurt, look at the cross. It's the only individual who ever really got hurt by a church that didn't deserve anything. Like we deserve, we deserve, we get a lot what we don't deserve, right? Thank God for His mercy. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. Because <laughs> the only thing I deserve is hell. Thank God I don't get what I deserve. Well, I'm going to walk away because church hurt. Really? Those conversations are so old. But what we do expect from a well-ordered congregation is that people will bear with one another. People bear with one another. And that's why I said in the beginning... Some people, they will, hear, they will hear a certain doctrine like limited atonement, and it's like, what in the world? Are you serious? The atonement was limited to a few. Well, guess what? The road is narrow, and the road is wide, and there are many that will not go to heaven, right? There are many that will not. Who limited Christ's work on the cross? 
Who limited Christ's work on the cross to only the narrow road? Did people limit God's work, or did God limit His own work, is the question. And so my point is just some people go like, well, I have to think through that. I have to really think through that. We bear all things. It's okay. It's okay. People, you know, it took me a long time to get around certain doctrines. And the people that I've been around, they, they were patient with me. I'm patient with people. I've been forgiven for a lot. I forgive people all the time. Not because they repented. It's because I was forgiven. That's why I forgive. God was, God was patient with me. That's why I'm patient with people. And that is what we ought to find inside of a New Covenant church community. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. <clears throat> you see, God allows you to go through difficult relationships. Why? Because that it's training for you. Training you in love. You go like, God, why did you put this person in my life? Is that the thorn in the flesh? Is that Paul's original thorn that's not in my flesh? I don't know. But sometimes, you know, we, you have a re difficult relationship. You go like, why is that? Why did God do that? Well, He's teaching you how to love, and He's teaching you how to be humble. He's teaching you how to love, and He's teaching you how to be humble. God allows you to go through these different relationships because that's part of your training, even to the point of not just bearing with them, but in fact covering them. Because remember, love bears all things, right? All right, this is a tough relationship. I'm going to just, at my expense, I'm going to stick it out in this relationship. But not only am I called to bear all things, but I'm called to also cover their sins. Now, I want to also just clarify this, that when it comes to sin, there is such a thing as church discipline, right, in the Bible. So a well-ordered church, a well-governed church, always practices church discipline. Because church is one of God's four governments that He put in place. So there is such a thing as church discipline, and the well-ordered new, co new Covenant community church that functions in a biblical way will exercise church discipline. However, church discipline is exercised over uh, um, blatant disregard. Blatant disregard for weighty matters in Scriptures. Church discipline happens at times when a person absolutely blows off the Ten Commandments or one of them. Just couldn't care and publicly just blows them off. Church discipline at that point is right. It's when they blow off the big ones, when they blow off, uh, you know, the weightier matters. For instance, somebody, somebody steals in the congregation. They're ripping off old ladies. They steal money from old ladies which we've had before. Well, church discipline is necessary at that point because thou shalt not what? Steal. If you're going to keep stealing people's money in this church, then we're going to have a meeting, right? And you're going to pay them back. So yeah, church discipline is part of a well-ordered church. Somebody abandons his wife, abandons his children, well, church discipline is in order at that point. Somebody committing adultery openly, church discipline 
is necessary at that point. So when it comes to the weightier matters of the law, when it comes to the Ten Commandments, and people are just blowing off God's law publicly, well, church discipline at that point is in order. However, the church is not to discipline somebody for their personality quirks. <laughs> like, like I, we got to tr- discipline this person, man. He's got really, really bad jokes, really weak jokes. This is not part of church discipline. Church discipline is not when there are regular relational frictions that's part of a church family. Church discipline doesn't step in there. Remember when there was some friction and the apostles went, okay, well, we ought to spend our time praying and studying the Word, and what we're going to do is we're going to let some men with good reputations take care of all the tables and serving the widow's food, right? Because there was argument between people as to, like, why do some get more than others? And that wasn't a church discipline issue at all. It was just friction within the congregation. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Who is he talking to? The pastors? No, he's saying brothers and sisters. If someone is caught in a sin, he actually says who he's talking to. Just go to the beginning of that verse. Brothers and sisters. So he's saying to everybody in the seats, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person in gentleness and meekness and in all humility. And then it says, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. So however, um, scriptures also say to make sure you deal with your own sins first. So I'm not saying that, hey, everybody, sin's fine, you know, just let everybody cover your sins and sin's okay. That's not the point. The point is we have to learn what it means to, number one, cover somebody else's sins. And we have to know the difference between the weightier matters of the law and the lesser matters of the law so that we know which ones to cover and which ones to confront, right? Because some sins ought to be confronted, other sins ought to be covered. And you, everybody in the seats, everybody within the church need to understand this because this is our culture. This is a New Testament church culture. Scripture also tells us that we should deal with our own sins first before we actually go and confront somebody else's sins. So, yeah, we cover people's sins, but before there's any confrontation, self needs to be confronted first. Consider the fact that most people have something in their own eye, a plank or even a railroad tie in their own eye. It would be God's work in your life to learn to cover the sins of another at that point in time. Why? Because there's no way for me to go and confront somebody else's sin with a railroad tie in my own eye. So God really put this thing together so nicely that within a church community, everybody goes to self, they go to the mirror first. And they go, okay, at this point, while I'm looking at that railroad tie in my eye, I'm going to have to just cover this person's sin. (laughs) I'm covering this sin. I'm trying to deal with my own first. And if you can go to the mirror and there is no railroad tie in your eye, there's no plank in your own eye, and there's somebody else who's participating in a weightier matter of the law where they're breaking the weightier laws, 
at that point, it's like, brother, I need to talk to you about something. And it needs to happen in the seats. It needs to happen in the seats. If that brother won't hear you, what you do is you bring another person, that somebody that could be a part of the solution, not some foreign individual, no, a person that has influence in this person's life that you're trying to counsel, a person who <clears throat> this person might listen to. You bring that second person with you, and now you talk to that individual. And if they still won't hear you, well, then you bring it to the church if it's a weightier matter. Right? If it's a weightier matter. But what usually happens in church life in general is if a person's in sin, everybody else gets informed <laughs> before anybody even goes to that person. And that's not right. That's why God has put it together the way He has put it together in order to protect the people inside of the church community. So the conclusion here is that one of the most basic foundational marks of a covenant community is covering the sins of one another in love. Now what I'm not saying is like, oh well, you know, we're all sinners, so no worry, just enjoy your sin. That is not what we are saying. No, we are to preach against sin, we are to teach against sin, we are to call people to repentance. But to the, but to the point, we need to start with our own first. We start with ourselves first. Everybody say, hi, kids. <laughs> Thanks for being so quiet, kids. We appreciate it. When it comes to our brothers and sisters in the church, we want to cover their sin with love for as much as is possible. And when their sin cannot be covered, it needs to be confronted the right way. Either you can either cover or you can confront their sin, but you can never complain about it. You can cover or you can confront, but you may not complain. You cannot talk to other people. In a well-ordered new, new covenant community, people know the difference between the weightier matters of the law and the lesser matters of the law. Well-ordered new covenant community people cover each other's sin if it's a lesser matter, confront each other's sin if it's a weightier matter, but they never complain about each other's sin or criticize each other for their sin. The weightier matters of the law would include things like, are they starting to serve other gods? If so, confront their sin. Are they making graven images? If so, confront their sin. Are they divorcing and abandoning their spouse and abandoning their families? Confront their sin. Are they committing adultery? Confront their sin. Are they, are they, are they children out of line and being disrespectful? Well, then confront their sin. Because it says, children, honor your parents. That's a weightier matter of the law. Are their children disrespecting their parents? Confront their sin. Are they lying or stealing from others in the congregation? Confront their sin. Are they caught in covetous lifestyles? If so, confront their sins. These are the weightier matters of the law. So a well-ordered new covenant community know the difference between these two. And they love each other accordingly by either covering the sin or confronting the sin, never complaining about sin. However, this is always done after they've gone to the mirror first to pull the plank out of their own eye. And when dealing with our own sin, confront it. When dealing with other people's sin, cover it. 
for as much as is possible. Cover it for us. People need to feel safe with you. But the willful rebel need to know you are predictable. My wife is so predictable. Because <laughs> I already know exactly what she's going to say. Because she's so predictable. Why is a person predictable? Because they live by certain principles. If you live by certain principles, you will always act the same way in every situation. Because you don't, you don't respond based on that person that you're talking to. You respond based on the principles that you hold fast to. Right? And so... When we deal with our own sin, we have to confront it at every single, every single time. When we deal with somebody else's sin, cover it for as much as is possible. But if it's a way to a matter of the law, it is your responsibility, family, to talk to that individual. Isn't it amazing how this is a living organism? The church's living organism? Like nobody actually just gets to sit down and listen. Everybody is required to participate in all those areas. Even in the area of God has brought this person across my life and they're living in open sin. It is, in fact, a responsibility of mine to talk to them after I've gone to the mirror to pull out the planks out of my own eye. So I'm called to repent and then I'm called to also confront. But... If it's not a weightier matter of the law, I am called to consistently, actively cover people's sins. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Is that clear? Clear as mud? I see a lot of frowns. <laughs> I want to close with this verse. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones. Could you all say as God's chosen ones? All right, so he says, you are God's chosen ones. And because of that, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That's everything you need in order to cover somebody's sin. Bearing with one another. That's everything you need in order to cover people's sins. If one has a complaint against another... Forgive each other. That's what you need to cover people's sin. As the Lord has forgiven you. Okay. So, I forgive as the Lord has forgiven. That means I need to keep forgiving until I've forgiven as much as what Christ has forgiven me. Then I can consider no longer forgiving somebody else. And that is why we walk in forgiveness with one another. Not because they have changed, but because I have been forgiven. And let me help you. You have been forgiven for a lot more than what you have to forgive others for. Amen? So let's look at that again. I mean, this is such a great explanation of everything we're talking about. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Put on then as God's chosen ones because you are chosen. That means because you have been forgiven. Because you have been atoned for. That is who Jesus died for. Because you were the ones He chose and you were the ones He atoned for. And you were the ones he rose, he rose and made you righteous. Because of that, put on then 
compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive completely, sacrificially, in pain and in agony, you too must forgive. Verse 14, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then it says this to all ex-charismatics, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. All right, so he's talking about how to cover people with love. How to cover people's sin with love. And then he says, now, while you do that, let God's peace rule you in the way you relate to these people. Because oftentimes, what happens is, you feel like the person sitting next to you, they should, they should have done more. They should know more. They, should not, they shouldn't so struggle with this truth in the Bible. But in fact, what you need to do is let God's peace rule you. Let the peace of God rule you while you're walking through these difficult things in life. Right? So put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive them. Above all, all of these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. You were called in one, we are one, we drink from the same cup, and as we work out these differences between us, whether it be personality differences, or when somebody disappointed you, or somebody didn't greet you at church, or you got church hurt in one way or another, and you think that you're the only one getting hurt, and nobody wants to include you, and whatever else the devil wants to tell you, let the, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And with this we close, that we have to treat each other as the chosen by God. I mean, can you imagine? You know, it's after an election, after an election, it's interesting how something comes upon the person that was just elected. And everybody honors and venerates this person who just got elected president. Have you seen that? Yeah. Suddenly everybody's at attention. And this last time the South African president was elected, there were videos of him walking around downtown Johannesburg and people were like, oh, this is, that's him. You know, like everybody was like so amazed. They just saw him in, in real life. Because he just became president. He was elected as president. Now, we ought to have that same thing about the person sitting next to us. The person sitting next to you is somebody God, before the foundations of the earth, chose. And you need to look at them that way. Way beyond you would had the Queen of England walked in here. I'm trying to find somebody I know you guys like. <laughs> I mean, think about, think about that. If, if the Queen had to walk in here, everybody was like, oh! But you know what? What about the person sitting next to you? Before the foundations of the earth. God elected and chose that person and loved that person and paid the highest price for that person 
because he will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy, and he will harden whom he will harden. But he had mercy on that person sitting next to you. And if God, out of the billions of people, went and picked this person, ought you not to look at that person with different eyes? And now allow God's peace to rule you as you live in this new covenant body of believers. Amen. Father, today, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, that you will inject into our understandings, our foundations, your way of how we ought to treat each other, view each other, respond to each other, and even react to each other's downsides. Lord, that we will always first go to the mirror and repent, but then that we will walk around covering each other's sins, bearing with one another in all meekness and humility, and that we will have the courage to privately confront another person that may live in open sin, sin that is part of the weightier matters of the law. But Lord, other than that, give us the grace. Allow us to cause your peace to rule in our hearts that we can love and love and love and knowing, Father, that every time we face off with friction, disagreement, that we will see this as part of you training us to love. Amen.